everybody is murderous in their intentions towards everybody else. Again, hold them back. Submit yourself to one all-powerful absolute sovereign. Thomas Hobbes, the great 17th century natural philosopher, called this. Leviathan! I like shapeshifters, only a lot more into evil folk. And nothing can kill them. Hey, so maybe I'm not real. Hello, the internet, and welcome to the Lands of Leviathan podcast. A member of the Agora Podcast Network where we discuss political science and popular culture. Hosted by Brock Roderman and Peter Sleeman. Today we're going to be discussing colonialism and all the ideas that go along with that as a political concept. Um, It's a concept that Brock and I work with quite a lot, and we're going to be looking at that through the lens of the movie Avatar um, and discussing that movie in depth and why uh, James Cameron is not really a filmmaker. But before I get into that... I would like to introduce to you the Agora Podcaster of the Month, who is our esteemed leader of the Agora Podcast Network. I won't say anything there about uh, nepotism, but um, yeah. Uh, (laughs) um, No, that's a joke. Please don't fire me. Uh, (laughs) So uh, our our Podcaster of the Month is Royfield Brown, who does a number of podcasts on ACOSTs. So you can uh, do a search of his name on uh, your ACOST app or online. And have a look at uh, all the stuff he does. But what we're interested in today is his uh, podcast called How Jamaica Conquered the World, which is actually interesting considering what we're discussing today. Basically, what he looks at is um, Jamaica's influence on the world today in terms of music, popular culture, sports, things like that. So for a nation that gained independence from the British only 50 years ago, Jamaicans have left their mark on music, sports, style and language around the globe and have become an international marker of cool. So if you guys uh, remember the movie Cool Runnings, which was about a Jamaican bobsled team, which was pretty fun. This is a, I think it's based on a true story, eh? Uh, I, th- I don't know. I think the... Mar- it was. It was? No, no. I, yeah, it was. Okay. It was well, an Olympic uh, track team, Jamaican track team, that uh, made it to the Olympics on, as a bobsled team. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't yeah. know that. That's pretty cool. It's a good so- comedy. Everyone enjoys it. Yeah, go watch that, guys. It's awesome. Have a look at uh, Royfield Brown. Indeed. Today, what we're going to be doing... Is talking about a political... Well, it's not really a concept. Colonialism is more of a practice, so uh, it's a phenomenon. And it's not actually... It's not really a theory. I mean, post-colonialism is a theory. Neocolonialism is a theory. Um, Even imperialism could be considered a theory. But colonialism itself, you know, was born out of the activity of of colonizers colonials of European conquerors who uh, spread themselves across the world, taking land, annexing territories, and declaring them beholden to the to eventually some sort of empire, and uh, established trade networks among those territories, and made sure that they were able to legitimately pull for the land of the natural resources that they that they conquered. Mm. So uh, let, let's let's talk about that. Let's start there, Peter, and uh, embrace more more of the complexities of colonialism. It's it's obviously such a strong theme in Avatar because uh, well, that's exactly what the plot is based on. Yeah. But uh, I think it's 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 easier to appreciate that film once you know what colonialism is about and what it, where it comes from. See, I don't know. Like, I, it's actually interesting because I was uh, at first glance, you're like, "Yep, it's colonialism, hundred percent." But I was also thinking that there could be an argument made for why it's maybe not colonialism, depending on how you define colonialism. Which is why, like, as you said, I'm not sure if it's like a theory or just a thing that happens that human beings do. So, 
Uh, should I go into like just de- uh, my definition of of what colonialism is from a historical perspective? Uh, yeah, let's start with history. I don't want to get too textbook. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I think human beings. You know, the the first moment we we kind of became human beings, we started to go to war with one another. Uh, Francis Fukuyama has a, a really interesting quote that he uses all. In case the you time. haven't noticed, that's Peter's favorite philosopher. He's my superhero, man. I love that guy. Um, <laughs> But he has a he has a quote that he uses a lot, which is uh, uh, "war made the state, and the state made war." So basically, from the first moment that uh, human beings formed political associations, one of the reasons we did that was for protection against other entities that wanted to do us harm. Now, what's important here is that, like Brock did mention, annexation, which is the forceful taking of another person's territory, but that's not necessarily colonialism because. Colonialism entails a very specific set of practices. So a political entity will go to a piece of territory that's not their part of their territory, take it, but declare it now as part of their political association. So the, I think the first instances of colonialism that I can bring to mind is Greek colonialism in the Hellenic period of ancient Greece where uh, they had colonies. In fact, the, you know, the word colony comes from ancient Greek, probably meaning something that I can't bring to mind right now. Probably something to do with columns, <laughs> um, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but the Greeks would go, and they had, colonies in, they had colonies in Italy. They had colonies in Egypt. Um, colonies all, all around the Mediterranean that was part of their empire. But importantly, those territories weren't just annexed. They didn't just say, okay, so you have to pay us money now because otherwise we'll kill you. They said, okay, you are now part of the Hellenic Empire, which means that you are citizens of the empire. So you get rights and privileges, but you also have to pay you know, tax and you have to adhere to our rules, our regulations, um, and our rule of law. Um, which but only insofar as it served that colonial power. I mean, if the colonial power, like imagine the Romans in, say, Judea around the time Christ was born, they weren't necessarily interested in everything that the Jews got up to. It only insofar as, you know, they were only interested in, in Judea insofar as it's, uh, they paid taxes to, uh, to the emperor. Uh, you know, whatever the however the Jews chose to live outside of that was didn't really concern the colonial power. Yeah, and I think that that's exactly like that's a really good point because you kind of have hit on why it's so difficult to even come up with a theory of colonialism because it depends on which colonial power you're talking about. So, for instance, like the Romans are a really good example. The Romans had the idea of what they called the Pax Romana, which was the concept that every citizen or every person who wasn't a slave, because we're talking about Roman times, living under the Roman Empire was a citizen of Rome and, uh, you know, had representation and all, you know, they, they had to pay tax and things like that. So the Romans were like pretty cool when it came to like religious, um, religious tolerance. tolerance. Um, they were pretty cool when it came to like practices that were done in that region. Uh, until, you know, obviously in Brock's good example of Judea, when some guy stood up and said, hey, I'm the king of everybody here. And the Romans were too happy with that. So they killed him um, in a very, you know, I don't know if you guys know who I'm talking about. Uh, you know, I don't know if you do. Yeah, I don't think I know who you're talking about because the Romans didn't kill Jesus. Uh, well, they were behind the the guys who killed Jesus. They they got involved. They were there. They got, they they they, they, were, they arrested him. They were behind the whole thing. No, the Jews arrested him. 
and they took him to the Roman representative, Pontius Pilate, and he said, I want nothing to do with this. And so he gave him back to the Jews, and the Jews killed him. Okay, well, this is what happens when I have an argument with a devout Catholic. But yes, fine, whatever. <laughs> but that just actually stre- <laughs> that just strengthens my argument that like the Romans, as long as you paid your tax and you weren't breaking any Roman laws, they were pretty happy for you to carry on with whatever customs you had, as long as those customs did not conflict with Roman law, which is very important for the Romans. Yes, and um, I think that, that your example does support that idea strongly. And, uh, and it, it's an idea that carries through, you know, through the Roman uh, Empire and uh, to other empires as well. And, uh, but even you know, up until the colonial period that made it famous, which was between, let's say, around mid-17th century to mid-20th century, um, Africa, Latin America, and Asia. Mm. Um, so it's an idea that is probably this one of the most profound of, of colonialism, which is that the, the, the colonial power is only interested in bureaucratizing and governing the territory insofar as it serves its own material interests. Outside of that, um, there's, there's very little that it, it, it wants to interfere with uh, in, in, its, in its colonies. But as I say that, you know, there are, there are such strong exceptions. I mean, the, like you say, it depends on the power that was colonizing. We mm. know that there are many different types of, of uh, colonialism. It depends on who carried it out. And one of the best examples I can think of is the, the modern French colonials mm. who, wherever they went, the style of French colonialism was not that they just wanted to arrange trade pacts and uh, make sure that the, the relevant resources made their way back to France at minimal cost. They were also intensely, in, in, intensely interested in making everyone that they met French. Mm. They wanted to convert the entire world to France and mm. to believers in French nationalism. And so they taught every one of their subjects in French. They taught them French culture. They read French literature. They made sure that they could write in French, preferably poetry, and that they would uh, speak and refer to all the items of trade in the French uh, in French in the French culture, whereas you know there there were other types of colonial powers like the British, for example, who were, were, were proud nationalists but weren't entirely concerned with whether or not their territories considered themselves to be British. Mm. It obviously made pragmatic sense uh, and administrative sense for them to speak in, in English. Uh, but they didn't have to uh, didn't have to appreciate the culture of tea drinking. They didn't have to make or brew any particular, you know, <laughs> mead or beer or, or have to recite famous uh, English poems or anything like that. Mm. Um, there, in fact, it became quite a strong source of, uh, of racism bet- between, you know, the British colonials and their subjects because they, they tended to look down on people who did not, um, while they didn't force people to practice the British culture, they, they did look down on people who refused it. Seeing it, seeing people as uh, as savages or as uncivilized was the most popular term around that time, and yeah, that's um, you know that was a completely different style of practicing colonial acts uh, in, uh, vis-a-vis the French. Yeah, and I think like I think what's interesting about that is that I, like the British are a little bit of a difficult example because the British at the time, exactly as you said, you know, viewed themselves as civilized and. Their, whoever was a native of their colony as uncivilized. But they also had a very strong impulse to civilize. Um, so, you know, in a, in a way, the French were almost better 
colonial masters than the British because the French kind of said, okay, cool. So once you reach a certain level, level of education, uh, once you gain a certain level of property ownership or whatever, you can have representation in our, in our legislature. That's cool. The British had this kind of very wishy-washy idea of civilization. And, you know, they, they, which they changed the rules often about what was civilized and what wasn't. But at the same time, um, there's a poem by Rudyard Kipling, uh, the guy who wrote The Jungle Book, but it, it's called The White Man's Burden, which is a fucking terrible name. But he's basically saying that the, the white man has the burden of civilizing the rest of the world, which like today, you know, you hear that, you just cringe inside because you're like, oh, what does civilization mean? You know, we're in a postmodern world, so we're like, oh, I don't know what any of this stuff means. But, it, you know, it, the British did have this idea of civilizing the uncivilized um, as opposed to colonial powers that perhaps shouldn't be defined as colonial powers like the Spanish and the Belgium. Because the Spanish, when they when they colonized, in inverted commas, the uh, New World, especially in Latin, what we now call Latin America, they didn't really create turn that into part of the empire in terms of political association. They didn't turn the natives into Spanish citizens. They sent out Spaniards to occupy that territory, and those Spaniards were represented um, in the Spanish empire. So it's kind of like a very... Is it colonialism? I'm not sure, because it was the Spanish-speaking people in the previous colonies that eventually got independence, not the natives. The natives were not even really considered as people by the Spanish government. And then if you look at like the Belgian example, that was just a personal colonial power by the king of Belgium at the time, who was an asshole, and he was just using that to collect as much rubber as possible. Um, so, you know, that it's, it's interesting that you kind of have this gradation of colonialism. Like, I would say you've got annexation on the one side, which is like, for instance, what Russia just recently did to the Crimea. Absolutely not colonialism. And then you've got true colonialism, like 100% colonialism on the other, which is probably more Greco-Roman. But, you know, uh, the French are probably closer to the Greco-Roman example than, than the Spanish or the Belgians are. Yes, it's a, it's an interesting point to uh, to illustrate that that kind of continuum. I never thought of it like that. I suppose I never thought of placing the types of colonial powers <laughs> on a, on a historical spectrum of who tried to, in inverted commas, convert or civilize their entire um, subject population to their own to their way to the yeah. colonial way. Um, which you know that's quite an interesting thing we could play with and probably cast a few of the the regime types or at least the colonial types in popular culture according to that spectrum that'd be fun. Yeah. But just while we while, just since we've mentioned Crimea, we did Peter and I did actually record an episode on the Ukraine um, with Steve Guerra uh, on the Agora Podcast Network. So if you get a chance, go and listen to that. But it's not strictly on colonia. It'll only be out in the next couple of weeks. Because they're still yeah, yeah. We we'll just keep keep an eye out for it since yeah. you mentioned it. But Peter, let's move on. Then. Since we've identified the differences and the numerous differences between types of colonialism and types of colonial powers, what's the common denominator amongst all these powers? What what makes them colonial in the first place? I think uh, oh, it's such a difficult question. Okay, but I think main main thing is to firstly expand their sphere of political influence. So they're expanding their territory. They're, they're creating an empire. Secondly is 100% definitely exploitation of whatever resources. And I think, yeah, whatever resources are in that territory, but those resources don't necessarily have to be tangible. So for instance, during the 1800s, 
it was seen as incredibly prestigious to have a very strong colonial presence. Um, there have been some studies that show that in some countries, the British government actually spent more money on occupying the territory than they gained from the resources extracted. But their political power that was gained from owning so much territory was huge and allowed them massive bargaining power on in the international sphere. So I think that occupation and um, creation of a large territory and exploitation of whatever resources, be they tangible or intangible, are two very core concepts that are necessary for colonialism. Um, and probably an inculcation of, and you know, in this way we kind of do talk about imperialism, the inculcation of their culture into that new territory. So where, where France attempted to Frenchify Cote d'Ivoire and different African societies. And obviously the British tried to do the same thing, you know, try to Britishize the difference, which of course we call the Anglophone areas. Um, so, and I mean, you could kind of see this as well in South Africa with what the, um, with what the white settlers attempted to do to the natives. Oh, you see it fucking everywhere. Uh, what the Australians tried to do to the Aboriginals, what the Canadians tried to do to the Inuits. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's fucked up, but I think that that's also an important core thing is the inculcation of cultural normative values, you know, such as like, needing a Western education into those people. Well, I think the education, yes, it's important, but it's not the first thing that establishes a colony. So the first thing that a, ter that a, a territory would do to establish a colony is send an envoy, deploy an, uh, some sort of political power uh, that, would that would take control of a land and set up a colony in a territory outside of its own. Let's imagine um, a fictitious um, state in Europe that would that would deploy some naval uh, envoy that would go and find land, stick its flag in the ground, find anybody who lived there and tell them that they now are beholden to the state of Exophania, whatever you want. <laughs> Europa. Uh, and <laughs> Europa, yeah. Now, to enact that and to make that real, the envoy, the, the political envoy, would exact its power, its now self-declared power, by setting up means of extraction. So saying, uh, and they would they would normally term it terms of trade, and they would say, right, we will give to you certain things like uh, structure, um, administration, bureaucracy. We'll give you leadership. We'll even give you positions of power. Very yeah. intangible things. They'll artificially create some sort of um, bureaucracy in that in the in the new territory, so that one they can easily administer the territory, and two they can also appoint a native as a as a leader. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they'll typically self-appoint a native uh, an indigenous person as a leader in order to uh, according to whom they best fit. So they think that they might get along with one particular elder more than another, and they'll obviously try to establish very good relations with, with that person. Yeah. If they think that one particular leader is um, ad, is averse to their presence, then they obviously won't uh, grant them any sort of political power. And this is done so that they can facilitate greater extraction of minerals and natural resources and send them back to Europa. So while it is very, def very definitely a political phenomenon, one must understand that the the colonialism, as, as it was practiced historically, 
is always is always tied to mercantile trade. So it is also a form of economy. Now, I'm just going to let's just not just throw those terms out there as if we all understand them because it's something I definitely had to read more about. What mercantile trade and law, uh, and law establishes is a means of econo- of conducting the economy in a very finite or zero sum way. So during let's say the between the mid 17th to mid 20th centuries. The, the top economists and the, and the ministers of finance who are governing very powerful countries at the time, they believed the world had finite resources and that every state needed to compete with the, with other states to to handle and own those resources. It motivated the, not just the political competition to capture as many territories as possible, but also the economic uh, incentive to do so. Yeah. So everyone saw these these really rich and and wealthy lands in Africa, in Asia you know, in Central and Latin America, and even North America for that matter, where they could land and and pillage all the um, lumber, uh, uh, fertile soil, rubber, spices. You know, know, that's just like the basic resources. There was plenty of really exotic things like gold. Um, Now we find, you know, platinum and oil. Uh, There were certain types of jewels and spices that became very... uh, yeah, that were, that were very attractive to powerful states. Yeah. So the more, so the more that they could find these resources, the more be, they believed themselves to be the most powerful state on earth, mm. and they would use the the belief the this mercantile trade um, to trade with one another. So they would. It wasn't just a, a rush to the bottom. It wasn't just to grab as much as possible. There's also to be the monopoly power of that. Yeah. So one state would try to be like this, the the biggest iron owner. The, or the biggest rubber owner, and they would use their competitive advantage of rubber or iron or whatever it was that they owned to trade as sort of a currency in, with other powerful states. Mm. And uh, and this practice was seen not that you know we today probably should look down on this practice and see it as very infantile, uh, very naive, um, and certainly not the thing that's best suited for human development and welfare. But at the time, it was a very civilized order. It was it was. Very much, uh, uh, the most powerful state was very well respected, and yeah. it was a, a, an indicator of how uh, affluent you were, and of how educated you were, and of how successful you were as a country. Mm. So it was, uh, it, you know, it was of paramount importance to own as many territories as possible, administer administer them as efficiently as possible, and extract as many resources as possible to become as rich and uh, and sought after yeah. as possible. And importantly as well is the fact that this process drove the European and American industrial revolutions. Because as you know, I said earlier that you know, England the English state may have lost money in occupying their territories, but the English people did not. Because there there were, you know, Brock's already described mercantilism, which was the process by which the Spanish um, occupied most of their territories. But the British didn't operate on a mercantilist way. They operated on a much more capitalist way. So they had private enterprises that were given charters by the British government and enterprises such as the Dutch East India Trading Company um, and the British East India Trading Company. They were private enterprises that would go out, occupy specific territories in the name of the crown and extract resources. But that allowed private individuals to make a work ton of money, a huge amount of money, which allowed them to then go on and set up factories, set up uh, capital expenditure firms, 
um, set up a whole, a large amount of stuff that is actually still the basis of our international finance system today and make a huge amount of money. So it is, as Brock says, it's very exploitative. Um, and in fact, in one way, it's created a lot of the things that we take for granted today. So for instance, um, most of, pe- most of the people will hear arguments on the internet about tribalism and, that comes from the tribal idea of Africa that, in fact, did not exist. Tribes are a very specific anthropological entity that, by the time the Europeans actually got to Africa, were almost gone. The Africans had much more advanced political organizations that weren't tribally based. They were ethnically based, just as Europe was, in terms of you had the French, you had the Germans, you had the British. But, and the, and the Africans were the same, just without the technological advantage. But when the British came in, they understood tribal. And that's what their anthropologists at the time had told them that Africa was like. It's tribal. So they attempted to set up their tribal leadership. And as Brock said, they would go in and say, okay, you're the chief of this tribe now. When that guy might not have been the chief, in fact, that the political association might not have had a chiefdom. They might have had a council of elders or some other way of governing themselves. But the British came in and said, like, you operate tribally, therefore you're the chief now. So you're the chief of the tribe. Well done. Pay us money. <laughs> so, Peter, Peter, would you call the Navi a tribe? Uh, well, see, that's... That that's interesting. If we get into Avatar now, no, the Navi are not a tribe. The Navi is the species that occupy Pandora, which is the planet. Um, the or one of the species. Yeah. What? Well, you're one. Okay. It's the uh, the the, sen- the sentient species. species. Yeah. The the yeah. the top of the food chain. That side. Um, so. Well, I don't know if you saw any of those flying dragons. I'd say they are top on top of the food chain. That's like saying sharks are the top of the food chain on Earth. Okay. The, the guys ride them for fun, okay? I don't think they're top of the food chain anymore. If the Navi wanted to... I would like to believe so. I don't see the the uh, Taruk Mokhtar leading a, like, political association. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's a, the, the Navi, I would... Oh, that is a good idea. Oh, man, I want to be in a tribe that's ruled by the Taruk Mokhtar. I want to be. That's a cool That's a cool tribe. I think that the the... No, you know what, if I was an anthropologist and I was looking at the Navi, I would probably say that they're not tribal. They are past the tribal point of political development. They are where Africa was at the time, maybe a few rungs down, because James Cameron is not an anthropologist, and, you know, he phrased that in terms of what he could understand, which is probably tribalism. So, I don't know, maybe that one group that um, the main character joins with is, uh, you know, is probably a tribe of the Navi. Oh, I understand what you're saying. Okay, yeah, then my question was bad. Yes, I agree. So the Navi are definitely, yeah, they're like the humanoid sentient species on uh, Pandora. But, you know, as we as we find out when that battle develops in at the end of Avatar, that there are multiple other tribes yeah. where, uh, where Jake, you know, wasn't very influential. He hadn't met them or... or we interacted with them much, so we we can see that there are. Although we don't actually find out the names of you know of the the main tribe in the in the story and of the other ones. Yeah, but so, the important um, thing the, the important thing about a tribe from an anthropological perspective is that a tribe is a group of people that can trace their ancestry back to a single progenitor. Um, you know, and that can be fabricated or whatever, but that's how they self actualize. That we are the tribe of this guy or this person. Um, once well, you... to a certain extent, they do do that. Yeah. When um, when they identify with the with the Tudruk Maktor. 
Yeah, so, so you or know, the rider. That, what is the rider called? I don't know. Turuk. Um, um, I don't know what. <laughs> but that's you. You are right. So that's why I'm saying it's like I don't know because I don't know enough about Navi anthropological associations and their tribal structure. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think that the more important question is: Does the Earth's occupation of those places in Pandora represent colonialism? <sighs> It, it would have to be a definite yes. I think we need to make the we need to see the similarities between the way that Europeans conducted their economic and political interests and how they practiced their bureaucratic administration of extraterritorial t- um, entities with the same way that the humans conduct their mining exploration of, of unobtainium yeah. on Pandora. And when they encounter resistance from the Navi, their resolution to the problem is simply to move them around. Yeah. Um, you know, either either move them by reason or move them by force. Yeah. But there is zero recognition of the Navi as a, as a sovereign political entity or as an equal political entity. Um, they they are seen as subjects, yeah. and, uh, and 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 they are treated with as subjects by for initially tr- you know trying the cultural method of uh, identifying with them ethnographically. Um, and then trying the you know the military method of moving them violently. Yeah. So it's there's there's no there's no back and forth there. there it is very hierarchical. It is very managerial, um, and it's exploitative. It, they're only interested in the Navi insofar as they serve their interest in in mining and obtaining. Yeah, and I think what I think is that we run into issues of like script writing here because as much as I want to like buy into the uh, you know the the universe that. Uh, that uh, James Cameron created. His universe comes with a whole bunch of problems. So for instance, like why the fuck does anybody like in that universe, the people are very, you know, displayed. The military is displayed. It's not really giving a shit. Unobtainium, which is what they're trying to get, which is a fucking stupid name for a mineral. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really stupid name. Um, but that's not the point. Like the, the you know, the James Cameron's whole point was to play with cool 3d technology. Like that's what he wanted to do. So well done, James Cameron. Like, and I think that's the reason why people don't really talk about Avatar that much anymore because it, it didn't make much of a cultural impact. But the thing is, is that if you are that type of person and you have that technology, why the fuck didn't they just bomb everybody from orbit? Like, that's a, a you know, something that you could do. And I think it's obviously because James Cameron wanted to have this, um, you know, this backwards and forwards. And my first instinct is to say, like, well, I don't know, the Navi aren't, you know, they're not subjects of, the humans, they, if the Navi were to murder, uh, you know, if the Navi were to kill a person, a human being, would the human beings at, on that planet consider that murder, like a breaking of the law? Or would they just be like, oh, he was a casualty of the native wildlife? Um, because if it's the latter, then it shows that the Navi, and I think it would be the latter, it shows that the Navi are not shown as subject to the law. However, that being said, in the beginning of the movie, you uh, Sigourney Weaver actually talks about how they're setting up schools and how they're like engaging with the natives on this like one to one basis through the use of the uh, avatars, which is what they are, they're the DNA clones of, which is fucked yeah. as well. Like that fucking, yeah. I mean, if you can you imagine the Europeans doing that in Africa, like cloning a bunch of like Zulu guys and then operating them remotely, like yeah. Shaka would have been like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> they would certainly not, Shaka and his Zulu people would not have had sex with one of them because that's fucked up. Like, that doesn't make any sense. But No, I, they definitely went to town with their <laughs> science fiction liberties in uh, this film. I digress. 
the point is here is that I think it's like it represents kind of almost the early stages of colonialism where they're kind of slowly civilizing what they consider to be uncivilized natives. Um, but what I find interesting as well, and this was pointed out in a, in a, in a cartoon that of the uh, avatar that I watched, it's like a comedy cartoon is that at no point in the movie does any human, not even Jake speak to the Navi about what the humans actually, what the humans want on that planet. The Navi don't know what the people want. They, all they know is that a, a violent force has come in and started causing shit. Nobody ever told the Navi, like, we are mining for unobtainium, which is a mineral that can only be found on your planet, that you literally do not give a shit about because you worship trees. You don't care about minerals. So could we work out a deal? Maybe, like, you have a whole planet to, like, worship trees. Could we just mine in peace? Like, no negotiation was ever entered into at all, which seems... Like, it should have been done, considering that if you compare, like, European colonialisms with African, in Africa, like, those were, like, one-to-one. We are both human. The Navi are, like, eight-foot-tall, really super-strong things that can, like, destroy a human pretty easily. And when they get together, show that they actually win against humans, even with technology. Like, you give a bunch of Navi machine guns, they win against most other humans. <laughs> so, like, they're riding fucking dragons. They're riding dragons, people. Put one of those guys on a dragon with a machine gun. I don't care what you got. You are fucked. Your only option is bomb them from orbit. So, like, it just seems that they should have gotten into some kind of discussion there. It's it's not a dragon. Okay. It's well, a Leonopteryx. Oh, okay. And, and, the, and, the, but I still, I still like the idea of putting, uh, you know, those machine guns in arm, in the arms of Navi and letting them ride the Leonopter, Leonopterixes around. Um, but I got, I'll, I'll see your Leonopterix and raise you one Terminator. I would love to see a Terminator take on a Navi with, with the machine gun and the Leonopter, riding a Leonopterix. <laughs> well, it depends, it depends which Terminator. If it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, like from Terminator, the first one, I think he gets owned. If it's uh, the T-1000, you know, the robot metal guy who can, like, shift into any form, you're fucked. Like, it just... That guy owns everybody, except for a molten pool of metal. But the Navi yeah, don't have that. Fly. But he can't fly. The T-1000 can't fly. Who says he can't turn into a flying thing? You don't know that. You don't know he can't do that. I don't see why he wouldn't be able to turn into a helicopter and just fly around. Uh, you think the T-1000 would win? I don't think it would be that easy. <laughs> Fine. Ten... <laughs> <laughs> I'll put a hundred bucks on the dinner. <laughs> no, I would like to challenge my immediate reaction. And I think probably the obvious reaction to Avatar being, you know, having such a strong theme of colonialism because the humans are seen to abuse and uh, exploit the Navi. Um, because it's not, you know, they don't make an effort to engage with the Navi in political terms. And I don't mean in diplomatic terms. Yeah. I mean, they don't seek to make the Navi their subjects in in strict administrative terms mm. they're not trying to rule pandora they're not trying to temporarily uh, you know politically manage their their livelihood they simply want them to get out of the way so they can mine yeah um and that while exploitative is not necessarily colonial mm. anyway one could challenge the their true intentions of trying to own and manage that that land or whether they're just simply trying to extract and leave Mm. Um, in which case, you know, they they would be more more true to their uh, film or their film nature, which is that they are a company rather than being a, a, a political envoy. Uh, so, yeah, what what was your reaction to that argument? Um, 
Yes, I mean, I think I think that that is my immediate leaning, especially because the people who are trying to engage with the Navi, which is Sigourney Weaver's team, they're scientists. They're not there to, you know, they're not even there to further the mining exploration of the planet. They're there to study Pandora. And obviously because Pandora has some incredible um, natural features, you know, which one of the facts is, is that the whole planet is a neural network controlled by, it's essentially one big brain that anybody can tap into, which, I don't know, it sounds way more valuable than unobtainium. Like, I, I don't know what the fuck James Cameron was doing when he wrote this, but okay, whatever. <laughs> um, so, but they're really getting involved with the Navi for the process of science. They're, they're wanting to explore. They're wanting to know about the culture. They're wanting to know about what's going on. I mean, I don't know, maybe they're looking for the cure for cancer, you know, in native plants, but they're not there as representatives of, of the colonial authority, which is interesting when you look at how scientists acted on Earth during their colonial expansion of the Europeans, where anthropologists would actually go out, not... I mean, obviously they had scientific reasoning, but, uh, and especially because they were acting on the assumptions of social Darwinism, which was that, you know, they were above the native. But they went out for the express purpose of A, you know, doing science, but B, furthering the agenda of the colonial power. So the scientists were involved in that, in that thing. So because Sigourney Weaver's, um, actual impetus is not to colo- colonize, the the navi but to study them does anybody want to colonize the navi like i I don't think so but i I still think that there is an argument to be made for it's for a certain type of colonialism or i don't know colonialism is maybe the wrong word maybe imperialism in that there is there are parts in the movie where you see a sigourney weaver in her avatar um you know reacting with navi children and giving them, you know, sweets and chocolates and whatever, but also talking about educational facilities. So there is an inculcation of culture, of human cultural norms and values into the Navi. Now, that's maybe not colonialism, but 100% imperialism. That's, you know, the, the spread of my culture onto you, because I would still say that at her heart, Sigourney Weaver's character still believes that their technology makes them better than the Navi. You know, maybe she views the Navi as like a very beautiful, uh, you know, natural phenomenon. But at the end of the day, it's still natural. It's not advanced. Yeah, I think that that her character is complex like that. Um, I don't think that her approach to the Navi is imperial. I disagree with you there because uh, I don't think she's trying to inculcate human values and norms. I just think she's purely trying to learn about what the Navi are and how they operate. But neither her even after being given the mandate to study them um, by the company who is you know, holding her to account in order to get her to get them to move, I still don't think that they have, that she has, or anybody has the intention to politically manage or take accountability for the governance of the Navi people at all. Yeah. They just want them to move. So this, the, the throwing around of the term of colonialism as a theme in Avatar, I think, yes, might be a theme, but it's a very shallow uh, theme and it's uh, it's certainly not colonialism as has been practiced in in our, in our human history. Yeah, and I think that that's interesting considering that colonial um, colonialism that Avatar is essentially a fucking remake of Pocahontas except in space. Like that's what it is. Don't fucking argue with me, internet. You know it, okay? Just look inside yourself. You know it to be true. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So, but, you know, Pocahontas... Well, remind us who haven't watched Pocahontas, why you say that? Well, Pocahontas is the story of the Spanish coming to the New World and interacting with uh, the natives. It's the, it's the, I mean, it's just a, a, a nice narrative told in a story, but it's the background of that is the Spanish colonization of the New World. That's exactly what it is. It's uh, John Smith, who um, is a colonizer. He's a conquistador coming in, meeting Pocahontas. Wait, hang on. There's a conquistador called John Smith. Yeah, I Spanish don't know. Is it Spanish? May, you know what? I might be wrong that I think that Pocahontas is actually a story about British colonialism and not Spanish. Um, don't worry. I'll forgive you for not knowing the Pocahontas story. I, I think I got confused because of his helmet. But his name is John Smith. Um, and, I mean, in the in the Disneyfication of that, Pocahontas teaches him about, you know, do you paint with all the colors of the wind? No, I don't because I'm not a hippie. Um, but in the actual story of Pocahontas, like the real story, uh, which is actually a true story, uh, John Smith comes over, tells all the Indians, you're all dumb, uh, takes Pocahontas back to England and she dies. So end of that story. It's really depressing, but, um, that's a story about colonialism. That's a story about colonialism's effect on the people. But when our historical examples of colonial, of colonists, encounter new people on new lands, do they seek to politically govern them or be politically responsible for their well-being? Or do they simply do what the company does in Avatar and tell them to get off the land because they want to mine there? Well, wait, are you talking about in reality or in popular culture? In reality. Oh, like, well, I think we have examples of both. I mean, we've got examples of relocations um, of, you know, people being moved from place to place. But those people were still, I mean, except in the cases of maybe Spanish occupation of, and Portuguese occupation of Brazil, and Spanish occupation of places like Argentina. No, Argentina was occupied by the Portuguese, wasn't it? No, it was Spanish. Or, or the, you know, the Belgian occupation of the Congo. But for instance, like, the British occupied South Africa. They occupied that shit. There was 100% occupation. Did they move people around in order to gain access to resources? Yes. However, those people were still considered to be colonial subjects. They were still governed by the British rule of law, which is important. The Navi, nope, not governed by the rule of law. Navi can do what they want, as long as they don't get involved with our mining operations, in which case Actually, we blow up their tree. I, I really appreciate your example of South Africa, because that's given me a bit of clarity here. In that, So we can say that the, the Navi um, are not necessarily colonial subjects in our historical examples, but if... The the scientific um, envoy of Sigourney Weaver had been successful in negotiating with that with that tribe. Sorry, Peter, with that tribe of Navi to vacate vacate their tree premises and uh, allow the mining company to extract their unobtainium. Do you think that in those diplomatic negotiations they would have had to concede some legroom or some political mandate that they? would expect, say, um, a bit of a give-and-take situation. Say, for example, the mining company would be responsible for providing new housing, providing new infrastructure, maybe even providing education, maybe providing certain services uh, in the new location. And if so, that could definitely have led, you know, that would definitely be considered colonialism in, in, in every sense of the word. Um, but not, but not, you know, in its, uh, not in, in the traditional way that it was practiced. Yeah, I think that that is such an interesting hypothetical, uh, like a counter history, because, yeah, I mean, I think that if like Jake Sully would be the you know obvious envoy because he's already built up a relationship, and I mean I, this has parallels with what um, 
uh, Cecil John Rhodes did in South Africa. So, yeah. I mean, but he was a dick at the end. So let's just go through it. So if, if Jake Sully had gone to them and been like, okay, guys, here's the, I mean, he can speak their fucking language. So it's all good. He's like, here's the shizzle. Uh, underneath this tree is a fuck ton of what we want. Um, you obviously don't want us to cut down this tree. However, like this tree can't be super important to your entire species because, I mean, there's guys living on the other side of the planet that you know about who have their own home tree. So, you know, here is, our, we want the unobtainium. We're willing to give you X, Y, Z. If they're willing to enter into no, those negotiations, I see, then it's interesting because is that two political associations now entering into negotiations I, that's one way it could go. So two political associations having a discussion and meeting, reaching a mutual agreement or disagreement, or the Navi could be, a, uh, you know, uh, we will allow you to uh, take down our home tree if you allow us to, you know, become protected by your military personnel, give us citizenship rights, allow us to visit Earth. Uh, you know, we want passports, we want medical care, you know, we want everything that your citizens have. Yeah, that's a, that's colonialism, but that's colonialism, good colonialism in a way, which we've never seen. Um, obviously what you see in history is Cecil John Rhodes doing that exact thing, except what he does is he goes to places like, uh, Botswana or Indabeliland or wherever. And, you know, says to the chiefs of fucking chiefs, says to the leaders of those groups, uh, okay, this is what we want to do. There's a whole bunch of translation backwards and forwards because nobody spoke their languages. Uh, the chiefs disagree. Uh, Cecil John Rhodes says, okay, fuck off then. Annexes the territory, declares it as part of the British Empire, then declares that these people are part, are subjects of the British Empire and thereby are impeding his work as a royal, um, in a royal envoy of the queen and they need to move because this is the British empire. So I get to say what happens. So that's colonialism done terribly. So, yeah, I mean, I think in, if, if that had happened, maybe, but you know, but in either of those situations that you mentioned, the, 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 the indigenous people end up as political subjects, which yeah. is terrible. So good, good colonialism, bad colonialism, colonialism, it's still colonialism and it's still, uh, you know, not the preferred way of running, of running a, a country or in, any part of the world. But, but if we, if we look at, if we, if we look at Avatar, if we, and, uh, what happened since the negotiations failed or, you know, they weren't even attempted because Jake was too in love with the blue cat. Yeah. Then he, then, uh, then it's not colonialism, uh, when the, co- the colonists whip out their guns and just start firing. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they launch every missile in their arsenal. That's not colonialism. Yeah. Because they're not treating, the indigenous people as as political subjects or as economic subjects, they're treating them as criminals or as violators of their economic will uh, yeah. or or interests. So, um, so again, I say I I don't if we if we appreciate the intricacies of the different types of colonialism, it makes it more difficult to sling the colonial tag around uh, as a theme in Avatar. Yeah, and I think as well, like just as a final point, there's like easy colonialism and there's hard colonialism. So, for instance, like. Uh, in the first Alien movie. The easy one is Wallolo. <laughs> <laughs> Conversion. Convert yes. the elephant to Christianity. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> um, but, so, like, in the first Alien movie, those are colonists. Uh, no, that's on a ship. Second, aliens, when they actually go to the planet. Um, yes. And there's a colony there. There's a human colony on a, uh, uh, on a barren planet. That's still colonialism. It's, Declaring a, a part of land, this is now part of 
Earth, or in that case, um, the territory is occupied by a corporation, which is in that universe, that's a legal entity, so it's fine. Um, but there are no native inhabitants, so it's easy colonialism. It's like, yeah, that's ours, done. You know, and that's the same thing. You know, when we eventually create colonies on the moon and we create colonies on Mars, like, that's that's easy. There's no native populations to contend with. We're happy to do that. I don't know. I mean, you could make an argument that the aliens were native. No, they weren't even native to that planet, so fuck those guys. And also, they're animals. I don't care about aliens. Except for the queen. She knows what she's doing. It's a hive mind. Who gives a shit? Um, okay, that's another discussion. <laughs> I'm getting with... But, obviously, when you have native populations, there is one other crucial aspect that needs to come into play, which I've only just thought of, is that colonialism almost by definition, needs to be coercive. Because let's say that they had approached the Navi and said, we are from Earth. Yes, aliens exist. Stop screaming. Everything's fine. We are going to, uh, we want to mine here. Would you like to join our political association? And the Navi had said, like, we are totally sick of, like, all this hippie bullshit and we want to join, like, a technologically advanced race. Please destroy the whole forest because we hate it here. Um, and they joined, <laughs> they joined together as, you know, they, they, they decide to form an alliance or they actually decide to form one unified state. That's 100% not colonialism. That's a unification, which we've seen on the That's planet. a social contract. Yeah, but that's a social contract. I mean, you wouldn't say what, you know, when America, you know, was forming the United States and had negotiations with peaceful areas about joining the union and then you know absorbed those territories or when you had the unification of britain i mean that was that was definitely not colonialism and the fact that i don't think it's got to do with the fact that they are um you know homogenous or that they're the same people i don't think that that's really important what i think is important is that it's coercive eventually if colonialism lasts for long enough maybe it ceases to eventually be colonialism and becomes a unified state and in which because that population has been so absorbed into the culture that they cease to see themselves as outsiders but that i think that colonialism does when it has a native population with hard colonialism that has to be resisted by the native population like we don't want to be part of your political association oh well we have guns so fuck you you know, that's, I think that's what has to happen. Or, you know, any technological advancement. So, so colonialism is the unequal and exploitative bureaucratic administration of a territory by a political power from another territory? Yeah, and another political power. Yeah, and in that case, if that's the definition, Avatar is not colonial, it's just exploitative annexation of territory. Those guys were dicks. And it's, really, and it's really fun to watch in 3D. Yeah, it's awesome. But James Cameron, I don't know, like, whatever, dude. <laughs> you don't. I don't think you know what colonialism is. So fucking read a book, man. God. But yes, that's Stop it. Stop playing with all those 3D toys. Yeah, actually, James Cameron, just keep doing what you're doing because I, I do like your movies. Can we have a good Terminator movie? Yeah, I don't, does he listen to this? Probably. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, he listens. He sits down with Francis Fukuyama. <laughs> Fuck yeah, that's awesome, man. I love Francis. That guy's the best. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thanks for listening, guys. We hope you enjoyed that. Please go to the website, landsofleviathan.com, for more content, such as other episodes, as well as written articles. You can also listen to the podcast directly on the Acast app and iTunes, or other podcast apps, as well as YouTube. We would love your comments and feedback, so please send us an email at landsofleviathan at gmail.com. That's L-A-N-D-S-O-F-L-E-V-I-A-T-H-A-N at gmail.com. Or you can contact us on Facebook as well as Twitter by the same name, the Lands of Leviathan Podcast. You can follow us on those networks as well. Plus, we have an RSS and email subscription service on the website. Remember to like, subscribe, and share, guys. Thanks so much.